G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. Okay, Jeff, you're going to tell me the final principle? You've probably guessed it by now. God's timing and your timing seldom coincide. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill and thanks so much for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. Number seven is considered the perfect number. Pastor Jeff's been making his way through seven principles found in Gideon's story in the book of Judges. We'll hear today about how God's timing is seldom the same as our timing. It's the seventh and final principle. There's been a lot we can learn and apply to our lives from Gideon. So let's get into this message now on Today with Jeff Vines. A couple weekends ago, I went out on the patio and I decided just to sit in the back row and just try to take notice of how people relate to the sermon and the service when they're seated outside in the big screen. There was a gentleman in his early 40s, probably four or five rows toward the front. And suddenly I started thinking about what this series that we've been doing called Wildlife, what it would mean to this young guy. I started thinking about what life was like for me in my 40s. I started thinking about the job pressures that we faced, that he was probably facing, the constant tension between expectation and deliverables, the constant pressure to feed his family, the financial pressures that come almost every day, every week, every month. I started thinking about how is he hearing this? He has unfortunate events in his life almost every day. How is he dealing with all of this? How is he looking at what we're saying about Gideon and God using the unfortunate events of our lives to build character, to build a warrior, a champion in every person in the human race, all those who will call on the name of Christ. And I started to think about Jesus' words. Now stay with me here, because we know that if you don't handle these things appropriately, they will ultimately destroy you. Either physically, we know they're, is a relationship between stress and physical health issues or spiritually, the disintegration of the soul. But as I go to the scriptures, they are unlike any other work of literary antiquity because Jesus says this. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Now, many would say to that, okay, Jesus, why don't you do something about it? You're all powerful, all knowing God. If in this world, we will have trouble, How about you rectifying these pressures in our lives? Then Jesus later says, take heart, I have overcome the world. One of my friends said, well, how nice for you. We still have to live inside of it. We're still stuck. You may have overcome it, but we're still here. Do you see how this is the ultimate question of life? 
Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 10 says, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. And then Jesus says in Matthew six, therefore don't worry about tomorrow. But he says the reason that we should not worry is not because he's gonna take care of everything. He says the reason you don't worry about tomorrow is because you got enough trouble in today. Before we identify this final principle in the wildlife series, the attitude by which we should live life so that we would be compelling to those who are far from God, it is important that we look at something, this theological issue, to come to terms with it, to be at peace with it. Because if I were a skeptic on the outside looking into this Gideon narrative, I'd be saying this, Jeff, does God really need to do all this through Gideon? Why doesn't God just wipe out the Midianites while they're sleeping? I mean, God could fix their problems in the bat of an eye. Why go through this entire drama and use this man Gideon? He could send a plague through the Midianite camp in one night and they could be annihilated. He could solve all of our problems in one minute. Now, I want you to think about that for just a second. This is one of the greatest accusations the skeptic makes against the biblical God. When I go to university campuses, the number one question is this, I can't believe in the Christian God because he's a God who judges others too harshly. And yet that's what you're asking him to do with the Midianites. You're saying I would believe in God if he'd just wipe all the Midianites out. So you can't have it both ways. The second thing is, if God were to judge everything right now, the question is, would you be left standing? That's a hard one. It seems like we're really interested in the judgment of God as long as it's happening to everyone else, but not us. And it's highly possible that in someone's life, you're the Midianite. To them, you're the Midianite and they want God to remove you. So if God judges the earth now in your timing, would there be anybody left standing? And third, is it possible that God's delay in judgment and justice coincides with the level of his staggering generosity, mercy, and grace. Every step God takes to do something in your life is allowing time for someone on the other side of the camp to repent. This is the thing we learn in the story of Gideon. God sends Gideon and his servant Purah down on the outskirts of the enemy camp to be encouraged by a dream that a Midianite has. So God uses a dream to encourage Gideon, but at the same time, God designs this dream to encourage Midianites to repent. And so God delays judgment and justice for a purpose. Here's the point. The question of evil and the things we deal with every day in our life, they're difficult to come to terms with. And God's timing seldom coincides with your and my timing. And we're going to come back to that in a moment because it's crucial. However, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says that it has been appointed unto man once to die and then to face the judgment. So delayed judgment is not the same as no judgment at all, especially when you have a God of staggering grace and mercy. That means that you and I are going to live in a world, we're going to face a world every day that has not yet been judged. So we are going to be wounded by the decisions other people make, and we are going to wound others by the decisions we make. What's the answer? The answer is let God be God. Well, what does that mean, Jeff? It means let him use all the unfortunate events of our lives, the one we cause, the ones other people, other people cause in our lives. Let him use all of those 
in the way he wants to for his purposes and his plan until everything and everyone is held accountable for their actions. So wherever you are right now, you and I have a chance to live life in such a way as to be used by God for divine purposes and grand design. This is the point of the Gideon narrative. You have no control over what's coming your way every day. You don't. And you're never gonna understand or have an exhaustive understanding of the reasons why they come into your life. That's not the point the scripture makes. The Bible encourages you, if you're gonna live the wild life, to let God be God and allow him to use you for his grand design and grand purposes by equipping you by the unfortunate events of your life. Think of Gideon just quickly, because we're gonna go to the seventh principle. He wakes up one day. The Midianites are trying to kill him and everyone he knows. He didn't ask for this. He wonders where God is. He knows that he's part of the people of God. The entire struggle is a mystery to him. Suddenly, while he's threshing wine in the wine press, or while he's pressing wine in the wine press, rather, he's visited by an angel. He didn't ask for this visit. And suddenly he's told by the angel of the Lord that God is gonna use him for a grand design, grand purpose. Do you remember Gideon's response? I mean, it's fair because Gideon believes this whole thing's a setup and here's why. He's thinking in his mind, God doesn't need me to defeat the Midianites. He can just wipe them out just like that and all of our problems will be over. That's why he responds this way in chapter six, verse 13. Wait a minute, angel. Where are all these wonders our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon knows that when you are visited by the angel of the Lord, your life's about to get tough. Moses, visited by the Lord in a burning bush, I want you to deliver the Israelites out of the hand of Egypt. That's gonna be no small task. Joshua, visited by the angel of the Lord, I want you to march around the city of Jericho and it's going to fall. That's no easy task. It requires an enormous amount of faith. And what about this Red Sea thing? You know, why does God take all the Israelites out of Egypt and march them through the Red Sea and then cause the waters to close over the Egyptian army? Why not just wipe them out? Forget about it. Nobody will be chasing you because there's nobody left on the earth. God seems to have such an enormous passion that all would repent, that no one, no one would be separated from him. That you have to start to believe and understand that while God is preparing his people, he is compelling others far away from him to repent. Even the Midianites. Think about how long of a time he gave them to stop this annihilation and genocide against Israel. What about the 10 plagues? It could be that each plague was a warning. Please repent and turn to God. But the point is, the time for judgment will come. Gideon's life and all of his challenges, they get tougher and tougher. I mean, God says, you're gonna lead Israel against the Midianites. And then God sifts his army, takes away his weapon, gives him a strategy, actually keeps him in the dark about the strategy. And then when he gives him the strategy, it makes no sense at all. These are tough days for Gideon. His life is a proverbial roller coaster. And yet all these experiences are the threads by which God creates a beautiful tapestry. God is urging the Midianites to repent at the same time he's building Gideon into an incredible warrior just in case the Midianites do not stop this genocide so that God can use Gideon to defeat the enemy. 
Now, let me show you. Remember how we started in the beginning? We said the first thing God has to do when he's gonna use us for his glory, use us for great endeavors, for eternal extravagant victories. He's gonna have to build our faith in his faithfulness. Otherwise, we're not gonna follow his instructions that ultimately lead to power and wisdom to achieve the eternal victories of our lives. Now, we're at the end of the story. Let me show you how effective God has been in Gideon's life building Gideon's faith in God's faithfulness. You remember where we left off the story? Gideon and the 300 men didn't have to really lift a sword other than to lift it in the air and say a sword for the Lord and for Gideon because the Midianite army were so confused because God had been working on the other side of the camp that they turned their swords on each other. They actually started killing each other and in fear, they started running away. So here's 300 men chasing who knows how many thousands of Midianite warriors. Now you'd think that Gideon would just stop and let them run away, but he doesn't. Here's the rest of the story. Judges 8 verse 4, Gideon and 300 men exhausted yet keeping up the pursuit, came to the Jordan and crossed it. He said to the men of Sukkoth, give my troops some bread. They are worn out and I'm still pursuing Zeba and Zamunna, the kings of Midian. But the officials of Sukkoth said, do you already have hands, the hands of Zeba and Zamunna in your possession? Why should we give bread to your troops? Now look how Gideon replied. Gideon says, just for that, when the Lord has given Zeba and Zamunna into my hand, I will tear your flesh with desert thorns and briars. Now, I've looked this up. The army that he's now threatening is about 15,000 men. Do you think God has built his faith? He's got 300 men chasing how many thousands are left of the Midianites. He comes to another regime and says, give us some bread and water. They refuse. He says, okay, after I'm done with them, I'm coming back after you. That's 15,000 more warriors. He's ready to fight with 300 men. Then he goes on in verse eight. From there, he went up to Peniel and made the same requests from them. But they answered as the men of Sukkoth had. So he said to the men of Peniel, when I return in triumph, I will tear down this tower and then I'm going to come after you. Now I've done my research here. That's another 10,000 warriors. So here's 300 men in Gideon threatening 25,000 warriors on top of the thousands of warriors that are left running away in the Midianite army. What's happened to Gideon? He's been transformed. He has learned to recognize the voice of God. His faith in the faithfulness of God has increased significantly. He is now brave and courageous beyond explanation. He is unstoppable. He knows what the voice of God sounds like. He knows he's heard from God to finish this work. And so God, the grand weaver, has been busy creating his masterpiece in Gideon for such a time as this, so that Israel can be saved from the Midianite army. The line of Israel will continue that will one day bring the Messiah, the salvation for the entire world. Now, let me just say something quickly. You think this is just for Gideon and the prophets of God? Somehow do you think this is just for us pastors that God only works this way in our lives? Let me tell you something. The future of the church and evangelism is not going to happen in the churches. It's gonna happen in the marketplaces. Our voices are being silenced. But as long as there are jobs and occupations, the marketplace will be the primary arena where the gospel will be spoken. That means God is going to turn his attention away from so many pastors onto everyday priesthood of all believers. That means you. That means God is going to start using the unfortunate events of your life to make you into a priest as part of the priesthood of all believers. 
He needs you to trust him, to have faith in his faithfulness, to do amazing, immeasurably more than you could ever hope for, ask for, or imagine through the most difficult seasons of your life. Listen, there are two crucial facts. Now, I know you want that seven principle, but this is one of those messages we've got to put pieces into the puzzle before it all fits together. Stay with me. There are two crucial facts about the biblical God that most Christ followers often forget. They're demonstrated by Gideon. You find them in Proverbs 3. There's an incredible coherency with Scripture, a cohesiveness. These two crucial facts about the biblical God that we often forget go like this. Number one, God is the all-powerful judge of history. And two, God is the wise, loving weaver of history. All other worldviews or philosophies deny one or both of these linchpins of biblical doctrine concerning God. You know, I, I grew up in the South. And in the South, farmers love uh, to make designs in their crops, especially after harvest season. They love to create these little signs in their fields. The problem is, you can't see it unless you're up above. If you try to make it out on grand level, you'll never do it. You say, well, that looks like an S. No, 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 that's an eight. You can't see unless you're up above. And I think, what a great example. It's, it only makes sense if, it's, if you're not in the midst of it. If you're above and beyond it, somehow if you transcend it. So when I hear somebody think in these terms, if I can't see a purpose to the unfortunate events of my life, there can't possibly be one. Now you think about that. Again, it's self-defeating. It's such a non-starter, a non-sequitur. You're claiming something that you don't have, which is omniscience. Because if God has an infinite mind and you have a finite mind, can you not admit there would be some limitations, some things that he could see that you could not? If God is who he says he is, we will often see part, but not the whole. You may see some of the design in the crops, but unless you stand above and beyond it, you will not be able to see the whole. We're not up in the air. We can't quite make it out. Would it not be nonsensical to be perplexed that you are perplexed? To be surprised that you are surprised by the events of your life? To be confused that you are confused about some of the things that happen? You should be perplexed. You should be confused. You should be surprised by some of the events of your life. You can't make out Is it an S or an eight? Because you're finite and thus your view is limited. You can't stand in the middle of the cornfield and know and understand everything about your life. You have to be above and beyond it. And only God has that sovereign, awesome privilege. Again, there are two immutable truths concerning the biblical God. Number one, God is all powerful judge of history. Remember what we read in Ecclesiastes 3. Whatever is has already been. And whatever will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. He says in verse 17 of Ecclesiastes 3, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time for every need. Now listen carefully. Because God is the creator, he has the right to hand out judgment. He has the ability to discern judgment, and he has the power to execute judgment. The real problem that most of us have is that he's not doing it now. Why doesn't God take care of this now? 
Why does God let so much injustice happen now? Why does he let things happen the way they do in my life now? And then you say, if I were God, aha, you done said it. You're not God. You're limited in your resources. You don't have the right to hand out judgment, the ability to discern judgment, and the power to execute it. You're not God. And God seems to be so much more interested in timing than you and I are. Remember when Jesus was casting out demons? I think it's in Luke. Could be a Mark. Should have checked that. But I know the story though. The narrative goes that Jesus is about to cast out some demons and he's going to throw them into the pigs. And these cheeky little demons actually speak to Jesus. And they say, Jesus, we know who you are. Are you going to torment us before the appointed time? Now notice, have you come, Jesus? Have you come to us? Are you going to punish us before the appointed time? It's the Greek word kairos, which means significant moment. He's talking about the day of judgment. So these cagey little demons are cheeky and they say to Jesus, Jesus, we know you're who you are. We know you're going to judge us. We know that you're going to cast us into hell. We know judgment day is coming, but judgment day is not today. So you can't throw us into hell. This isn't the time. The demons know that today is not judgment day. Now, here's a situation that needs to be rectified. Jesus does rectify it, but only partially because today is not the day. Why? Well, why does God delay judgment? Listen carefully. It is not the will of God that anyone should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. The staggering, immeasurable grace, love, and mercy of God delays judgment so that those far from God will come near. Do you understand that? As passionate as God is about judgment, he is equally, if not more passionate, that all would escape the object of his wrath and live in eternity and eternal harmony with him. You know, if you think about it, some of you are thrilled that judgment hasn't happened yet. You're thrilled that judgment didn't happen last month, last week, last night, because you know you're not ready. If you really stop and think about it, you're glad God delays judgment, especially given the fact what you did last night or last week or last month. And you know there are some things that need to be put right in your life. The Bible teaches that God delays judgment out of his love for his people, but judgment will come. Is it difficult for God to see what we've done with his world? Yes. Is it difficult for God to watch us turn away from him, to denounce him and call what is good evil, what is evil good? Is it difficult? Does it break the heart of God to see so much wickedness and suffering in our world because of such power of thirst for a type of anonymity that rejects God? where we become self-aggrandizing, the captain of our own ship, turning our attention away from God and onto what we want to achieve in this world apart from God. And you say, well, if it breaks God's heart of all the pain and suffering and if it hurts God that people turn away and denounce him and call what is good evil, evil good, then why doesn't he bring the hammer down? And the answer is the same reason he doesn't bring the hammer down on you. Grace and mercy He's holding out for the day of repentance. Does this mean God is passive? No. In the meantime, and this is the narrative of Gideon, he uses all these unfortunate events of your life, many of which you brought on yourself, to equip you for the greatest eternal victories of your life. He wants to turn you into a giant killer. 
I'm sorry to cut the message off there. We haven't even got into the seventh principle yet, but we will hear the rest of this message next time. So please join us. A message all about how our timing and God's timing seldom match up. God delays judgment and justice for a purpose. Here's the point. God's timing seldom coincides with your and my timing. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.